the most heretical podcast about the new Jedi Order. I'm your host, Megan. I'm here with my co-hosts, Rocky and Bria. This month, we'll be talking about Force Heretic 1 Remnant by Sean Williams and Shane Dix, in which Tahiri meets her doppelganger, Saba needs a hug, and the Empire, uh, well, it strikes back. As a reminder, here in the Voncast, we don't talk about spoilers for future books in the series, but we do go through today's book pretty thoroughly, so if you haven't read it yet, you can pause the recording, read the book, and come back and join us. We're going to do our traditional dramatic reading of the back of this book, uh, even though I think it was actually one of the the less dramatic <laughs> books overall. Um, oh. <laughs> well, uh, mm. Bria, please read. Oh, okay, hold on. <laughs> As usual, I have not turned over the book yet. I can do it if you want, but... No, I got it. I got it. It's tradition. Tradition. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Musical theater brought to you by the Voncast. Okay. Excuse me. As the bloodied and weary galaxy faces battle once more, the Jedi take on the formidable task of bringing the last of the Empire into the light. From the ashes of the New Republic torn to shreds by the savage Yuzan Vong forces. The newly formed Galactic Alliance has risen, determined to bring peace to the entire galaxy. But first, the Yuzan Vong must be contained once and for all. And so Luke Skywalker seeks a world long lost to legend, Zonamusakat, a sentient planet believed to have repelled an invasion by the Yuzan Vong decades ago. Deciphering the enigmatic secrets of Zonamusakat just might turn the tide of this relentless war. Aboard the Jade Shadow, Luke, his wife Mara, Jason Solo, and other Jedi head off into the unknown regions, where rumors and clues suggest Zonamusakat might be found. Yet the mission has barely begun when the searchers stumble into a horrific battle. The Imperial Remnant, in retreat from the mighty Yuzen Vong, is about to be destroyed. It would seem those aboard the Jade Shadow have little choice but to leave the Empire to its face. Fate. But these are no ordinary space travelers. They are... Jedi. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I lost it halfway through. <laughs> I love that that could have ended at destroyed and probably should have because it was like a really great dramatic ending, <laughs> but then it just right? keeps going. It's, yeah, that sounds like, like this entire book, actually. Mm, that's true. That's so true. So here's, here's my admission, my embarrassing admission is that I totally forgot that Luke was on the mission to find Zona Musakot. And I, I just totally finished this book this 10 book, minutes ago. Okay. <laughs> no, I just finished this book 10 minutes ago, and I forgot that's why they went. I was like, I know they're all off on some adventure, but oh, oh, right. That's why they're going to go search for a book for 1,200, or a planet for 1,200 pages. <laughs> no, it's us. We're searching for books for 1,200 pages. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I yeah, think that. Kind of... Yeah, I, I thought they were off like just visiting the chess or something but <laughs> they do that's next book yeah i have no idea what happened within all of force heretic despite this being my third read of it so yeah <laughs> i think that enough, really illustrates the uh kind of looseness of the story it's everything's given equal weight which makes it all seem kind of weightless yeah i think it's funny that even though the book is has two other plot lines that only one of them gets mentioned on the back cover. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I mean, we know Nominor is going to Nominor, but like, what are Leia and Jaina and Han and Jag chopped liver? Like, come on, guys. 
And does Tahiri even get a mention on this? I don't think she does. No, she doesn't. No one except for the people. Unless you're named Luke, Mara, or Jason, you don't get a shout out on the back cover. Disappointing. Disappointment! (laughs) Toward the beginning of my reread, I kind of knew that I would get a little bit lost in this book because it's um, weirdly paced and weirdly flat. And so I started writing down what are the themes, like what do I think the themes are, basically to help myself remember. Like it was also like, I want to see what they are because the themes in something like Traitor are very clear, whereas with this it was not. But it was also just like to help me remember what happened. Um, So I'm curious about whether you agree that these themes are like the themes. So the first one was um, doing bad things, uh, even though you mean well, or doing bad things for good reasons, which is uh, illustrated by especially Saba with that first scene. And also Jason kind of trying to uh, help Tahiri by sort of pushing her into medical uh, like watch when she doesn't really want to be. And then also Jag trying to um, kind of help the squad by having this culture clash and not really trusting Tahiri. Um, the other one was, <laughs> I don't think this is actually a theme, but it was like a, a trope maybe, was a bad cop versus worse cop. So the Empire and the Yevitha versus the Yusan Bong, or Naminor encouraging the heretics to fight Shimra. So, you know, just one, uh, one like, historically bad group <laughs> fighting another. And then also guilt, because uh, both Saba and Tahiri have a lot of guilt in their uh, stories, and in Tahiri it kind of manifests in this very literal way. So um, I want to talk about Tahiri first, but do you all have anything to add about the themes? I can agree with that now that I think of it, because when I was reading this book, my thoughts were going between how is it possibly this long? This is 400 plus pages, and that's more than I'm used to seeing in like the big hardcovers. But at the same time, I'm going, there's more plot in here than I think there is, but I still don't remember what happened whatsoever. In retrospect, those themes make sense. The bad cop versus worse cop, yeah. I like that as kind of the lesser of the two evils theme because it does feel like that's something that keeps on popping up in various forms throughout this series. What is the least or lesser of the evils we're facing? What is the least awful thing we can do or deal with? The enemy of my enemy is my friend. That's a very much ongoing kind of thing. And I think I even had that note somewhere about, yeah, I had that note about for later on the Peace Brigade and the FIA, the enemy of my enemy. I noticed that with the conversation between Jason and Luke, too, because, like, this one kind of repeats the same thing that has happened before with the conversation about what do we, what is the use of the Force, and Luke has kind of changed his his mind on, like, what the ethics of the use of the Force are, but it, it still was repetitive, but at least I thought it was cool that you saw that theme in, like, the larger illustrations as well, and just seeing the Yevatha was really interesting, because this is, like, you know, it's it's legends. It's all one thing. You have to if there's one giant xenophobic species, you have to figure out what happens when they clash with the other giant xenophobic species. So, rest in peace, the Yevatha. Not, they not the, really. They were the ones from Black Fleet Crisis, right? Yes. Ugh. Which, like, I don't even know if I've actually read that in total. Don't. I just know of them. I don't. I know that I have read it, but I only remember bits of the first book and 
I get the impression I didn't miss very much, sadly. No, what I remember from those books is like Lando ends up captured on a ship or something like that for like a book and a half. Um, Luke's on some mission with this lady who says she's his mom, but isn't. Who oh, then pops up later yeah. on. Yeah. I did not reread those within the last 15 years, and that was on purpose. Yeah, this book was definitely, you could have been playing Bantam era bingo with this book fairly well. And That's his entire trilogy. <laughs> it's the entire trilogy. They're going to Bakura next. Like, come on, we, guys. We know how this is. Okay, fine, I'll shut up now. <laughs> oh. Before somebody throws a spoiler bat at me again. We always but... do. <laughs> I feel like that's become like an episode thing. Okay, has somebody yet thrown like the spoiler brick at Rocky? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I think so. We were talking about this before we started recording, but for me, the one thing that drove me crazy about this book was I like the whole thing with the themes and everything. And then, and also, I'm suspecting I'm going to be Jag's defender in this episode again. I don't know how that happened, but. So this book actually made me like Jag and like Jaina and Jag a lot more than I think I ever have. Huh. Um, Jag annoyed me in this book, but we'll get there. We'll get to that. But the one thing I was going to say is um, we were talking before, and I'm going to mention something about Alphabet Squadron, but it's, so if you don't want to hear a spoiler, just fast forward like 30 seconds or something, but it's not really that, it's not really a spoiler. Yeah, it's not a spoiler, but a, a, Um, a piece of information. Yeah. So the last third of Alphabet Squadron is one big battle and that's about a hundred or so pages and then in this book the last 150 pages so about a third again are also one big battle and the difference in reading them was insane to me because i read them two days i read finished alphabet squadron on like tuesday and i finished this one earlier today and Wow, one of them dragged and the other one didn't. And spoiler <laughs> alert, this is the book that dragged. And I just was like, can we can we be done already? I mean, granted, yes, there's three big plot lines going on here, but I don't know. And the funny thing is, is that up until this point, I was like, huh, this book isn't as, you know, irritating and annoying as I remember it being. And then we got to page 253. I can't laugh right now because my throat's messed up, but I would be laughing if I could <laughs> without coughing all I'm, over. Everyone. I'm impressed you made it to page 253 before going, get on with it. I mean, I say 253 specifically as that's where the the third section starts. And also the lack of chapters in this book drove me mad. It was yeah, really you know difficult to read. I think that might contribute to some of the weird pacing, honestly. Yeah. It felt like it was really hard to find spots to put it down for a little bit because I wanted to get up for a snack or go stretch or something. It was just really hard to find like stopping places here and there. But it wasn't the good kind of I need a place to put this book down or you know, I don't I can't yeah. find a place to put this book down. It was the oh, come on. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. So uh, let's go into talking about Tahiri because she's she's my favorite, so I put her first. Also, uh, I think she connects to the themes really well. So she is having visions, nightmares, uh, very severe guilt, possibly. 
and um she's in this this dream state where she's in a place that looks kind of like Merkur, and she's chased by both a figure who looks like herself and a giant uh, lizard-like creature and the whole thing is just very gross it's like we're right back in star by star with like piles of corpses it's very creepy um they have she finds this amulet of yunyamka which is it's vaguely described but the way it's pictured is so important it reminded me a lot of the scene in the very beginning of lord of the rings where they uh the drop the ring and it like slams onto the ground and it like sticks there almost and like the visual effect is super cool and it seems like it weighs like 500 tons that's how i pictured this amulet to work um i really love that idea that that image is so cool yeah and overall um I think this this section is either going to be too weepy for people or it's going to be really good angst. And like, I'm not really sure where the line is between the two of those, because I thought it was right smack dab on that line where it was like, she's going through a lot. Like, can't we give her a break? Um, Especially because like the concerns that we had about how she kind of took two steps forward and then like 17 steps back. Because like for a very brief period, she was like, yeah, okay, I'm going to like speak to you some wrong language. I'm going to use this. And then once she no longer had to use it in war, she was horrified and and torn apart by it. So um, this I mean, I guess that was her break, really. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. Immediately after leaving Yavin. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, no, like when she uh, when she went to Coruscant and babysat the wraiths. Yes. Yeah. That, that was, was kind of her vacation. That was her break. And <laughs> then, you know, which and actually wasn't. And she says that she, like, doesn't want to get, like, she doesn't want to go too far into Yusan Vong. Yeah. Or when, she's, when she seems to be doing, uh, I, I feel like I don't want to say seems to be doing better because I, I feel like that's minimizing things, but I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to minimize her the trauma that she's gone through, but because it wasn't those well, the Austin books weren't that long ago. They were only there was only two books in between. No, and I, I agree that there was yes. less focus on her trauma there too. It wasn't like because we couldn't really see what was going on in her head there, like we can in this part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's we've been told that from the prologue of this book to the start of the main events, it's been about three months. And it's been a bit while longer since the Alston books. It's, to me at least, Tahiri having 17 steps back made sense. Because trauma recovery is never a straight line. And there are good days. There are bad days. There are my entire brain exploded. And now I'm having massive real or not real nightmares now. It happens. It's the thing that really struck me in all of Tahiri's scenes was how realistic it felt that she's having a really, really hard time and she's kind of losing her mind and her touch on reality. And it just seemed very real. This whole series is pretty unflinching about just how devastating trauma can be psychologically and that everyone copes with it differently. You don't always deal with it. Like recovery doesn't always just keep on going and keep on getting better. You're going to have bad days. It's this definitely felt a lot more brutal and severe than what 
I think we've seen often in the past, but it also felt very real. I agree. And um, I like that. Like, generally, I really like these scenes. I think that, like, number one, they're cool visually. It'd be something that I would love to see as, as a movie, right? And also, um, they, uh, I think it can be a little um, minimizing to say that, like, science fiction is really good at portraying, like, what trauma feels like and what um, kind of this is literalizing emotions, right? And I think it does, but but I think it does that really well. And um, I also liked how it kind of uh, reflected on the rest of the cast's circumstances. Like she sees uh, ATATs while Jason is negotiating with the Empire. So it a little bit parallels what's going on in the rest of the story as well as like literalizing what she's thinking. Yeah, I don't yeah. think it was minimizing at all. It it was it felt so realistic in a way that was kind of refreshing to see because often fiction doesn't always really know how to depict how disorienting and horrifying trauma is or like what trauma nightmares can feel like it's the way the way it's all written is so real and so well done yeah i always really appreciate it when the series when it wants to really commit to delving into tahiri's trauma that it does so so well pretty respectfully too i think i mean yeah i yeah. mean i would i would say so i think the reason that i mentioned that didn't want to feel like it was a minimalizing it is that like i don't want to say um sci-fi and like visualizing your problems as monsters is like the only way to solve something like there are plenty of ways that are like set in the real world right but i think all of us the reason we're here are because we like sci-fi and we like these like big grandiose ways of illustrating stuff because it's a lot easier to look at something through an illustration than to look at it head on sometimes. And I really uh, appreciate that. So um, let's talk about Jag, right? We were having a little, <laughs> a little um, party in the notes here about Jag fell defense squad. So yes. I'm going to be the bad yes. guy here. <laughs> I'm going to be the, the Yavitha briefly because um, I found Jag very boring in this book. Um, I found his suspicion of Tahiri to be annoying because I'm like, no, she is my perfect girl. She must be protected. Like, stop. He's being trying. <laughs> but he's also really <laughs> suspicious, though. He's like, um, and uh, so overall, like, I didn't really like him in this one. But I thought That's it was interesting. Though, is like when you say suspicious. I feel like that has a different connotation from how I read how he was just trying to pay attention. To me, it was more of he picked up that something was going on with her when very few other people did. Because um, I think it was like fairly early on before they go. He was like, he just kind of saw something with Harry and he was just like, and he seemed to notice that she just seemed a little bit off. And he's been... Oh, there's been something about Jag that I've really appreciated more and more as the series has gone on where like he's not great at emotions, but he's getting better at it and he's figuring it out to the point where he's not only able like, and I think he genuinely when he's trying to help Tahiri and he's he's looking into the amulet stuff, I think he's doing it from a genuine place of concern, but he's also able to do stuff to help to help Jaina, who's kind of just like still sort of how she was back in destiny's way and teetering on the edge of a knife i mean slightly less teetering but 
I don't know. I think Jag did good in this book, and I understand his whole... Well, I guess we'll get to that next part in a minute. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I like what you said about how he doesn't quite understand emotions, because um, I thought it was interesting that his responses to the situation, which the book says are, like, the result of his chiss upbringing, uh, were actually very human. Like, he he does not want to show weakness. Um, he finds it uncomfortable to answer questions too easily, lest giving them away be seen as naivete or poor business practice, um, all of which seemed, like, very human to me. And, like, I understand that anxiety of, like, I can't show any weakness in a situation right so i really like that i thought it was kind of funny that he blamed it on being from the chiss when i think it's also a very human thing <laughs> um i also liked how um he knows the skywalkers have good intentions going back to that first theme that i mentioned um but can't or you know is unable to fully help them the way that they want so those i did think like were interesting points even if i didn't love the person making them <laughs> he had a fair good number of counters to why he wasn't able to answer the questions that luke wanted him to answer though because he was like it's not the person and, and i think that was saying a lot about the chiss culture where he was like yes. i can't tell you that i won't tell you the person's name but the person's name doesn't matter you need to look for the position like the position mm -hmm. is what matters in this situation um and i also have sympathy for him as he's someone He's a human who was raised in chess culture and probably always felt like an outsider there. So he, he's always sort of tried to be perfect and be better than perfect. And now he's trying to figure out how to be a human again <laughs> and like how to be a rebel, essentially, which he's so not good at. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Shag in Alphabet Squadron. Can you imagine? Oh, my God. That would be a mess. <laughs> My other I favorite. Report back to you on this after I read Alphabet Squadron. Clearly, oh, he it, it, it he would fit in worse than he would with the wraiths. He Let's might actually put it that way. get along okay, with, Jack with well the more than the rest is just of them. Making me giggle and Maybe making Erica. me wish I still wrote fanfic. <laughs> yeah, it's My one other Jag comment I want to make is that I laughed so hard at his whole. Yeah, we didn't really learn insults in the Chiss Academy. The worst thing I the worst thing I learned was calling someone fair haired, and Jade is just like, yeah. "What?" And he's like, "Yeah, <laughs> that doesn't translate well, does it?" And I was I like, just, "Oh, you precious yeah. baby." I just now have this image of Jaina and a few of the other pilots sitting Jag down and teaching him how to properly swear. <laughs> like a good Corellian should. <laughs> because I'm positive that Jaina has an extremely good vocabulary of impolite things. Oh, of course she does. Absolutely. <laughs> Please add this to the fanfic list. <laughs> yes, okay, fanfic list. You know that this happened. But, aw. And this book was also the one that, for me, actually cemented my Jag OTP. Jag Shonker. That's what I wanted. Oh my god. Of course it did. <laughs> this book was yeah, just like, hello! <laughs> Though actually I was surprised in this read. Jag ended up a more sympathetic character for me than I ever expected him to be. Ever. And it actually made me quite like Jaina and Jag together. They made sense in this book a lot. And all of Jag's little things about chess culture here and there it kind of makes sense, even though everybody else is like, what do you mean you cannot give me a name of this person? No, you see, in our culture, the name is not the important thing. Here, take the hint about chess culture, everyone. It'll help. They did it's, not take the hint. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's 
I think Jag warmed up a little here just because I think he figured out that it's okay to not be perfect sometimes. The Chiss are going to be judgmental about it, but they're going to be judgmental no matter what. <laughs> He's human. He's starting to realize that. <laughs> He'll get there one day. Maybe. He's, a, he's doing his best. He gets the gold you tried star. <laughs> he tried really hard in this book. He did. He gets the gold star. I actually have good memories of the, the part where they go to the Chiss planet, but I don't remember it well and it's spoilers, so we'll do that next time. I have a vaguely positive memory of that, <clears throat> but ask me about that later. So Take a shot, everyone. <laughs> Again. <laughs> So let's talk about Saba, who was always one of my favorite characters, even though she's such a side character, because I just really like the idea of like a giant lizard being a Jedi and the like the, you know, the the pack mates, the um, family dynamic there is really fun to me, like how what their humor is, is really fun to me. So the fact that this book opens up with Saba basically killing a bunch of people by accident was like. Oh, it's it's dark. It's real dark. So, um, I liked the description of her as joy starved because I think I think a lot of us have been there sometimes, and and she's kind of filled with guilt and she has this nice little arc which I thought was actually like a really well um well done kind of self contained arc where she ends up um, saving a bunch of the people that the Yusen Fong have captured instead of leaving them to die again. And I also really enjoyed her friendship with Danny and Techly because just like it's kind of a cool like just like female characters hanging out with each other, people that don't get the spotlight, but clearly like they're hanging out while the Skywalkers are doing other things. So overall, I just really enjoyed her part in this, and I do think the beginning is is really haunting. That image of like this of people spilling out into space is very very frightening and memorable. Yeah, her and uh, her and Danny really do have a good dynamic together i wish we get more of them together than we do although maybe we do get more and i just don't remember yeah and i i liked a lot also how when luke was trying to persuade saba to help them phrasing it in ways that made sense for saba culturally and just those little things of Luke is trying to explain this in a way that's really going to click with a lot of the deeply rooted Barabel. Because Saba notes here and there in this book, Jedi, Barabel, two personalities, not always complimentary. A lot of her hunter instincts don't really play nicely with what she's learned as a Jedi. And it was like finding a way to make something good happen out of a really bad situation. The little bits of hope scattered around here and there, it matters a lot. Yes, absolutely. And I like the fact that like she did she did do something wrong. Like she made the wrong choice. But instead of like demonizing her completely, the book shows how she kind of works through that and makes up for it. Oh. I like my flawed characters. Again, yes. a shout out to Alphabet Squadron. <laughs> <laughs> It's almost like that book came out recently and we have a lot of feelings about I it. I know, it's almost like everyone has feelings about it. <laughs> well, so. then, if I have a quiet day at work tomorrow, I'm going to start on it. Excellent. Very good. So, Did let's we... talk about... 
Yeah, what? did we not have a section in our notes here about Nominor shenanigans? Oh, we actually don't. Thank Oops. you. I was thinking <laughs> that um, that I was like, I know this book is like not interesting, but I feel like we're missing something. <laughs> so do you um, want to talk missing- about? We're missing our favorite, Nominor nopes away again. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. Um, do you want to talk about Nominor first or the Imperial Remnant? The Imperial Remnant goes along with we... the battle at the end, so maybe they'll be last. I thought we talked about the Remnant, though, because that was Saba's plotline, too, right? Okay. Yeah. yeah, somewhat. They tie together. So, um, this book, as is the whole of the series, I think is a lot about kind of mopping up Phantom Era questions. Like, well, how does this affect this whole group of people over here and how does it affect the Yevitha over here um so we should maybe also talk more about the Yevitha but anyway um in the Imperial Remnant we finally get a kind of a conversation of what the Empire is planning on doing against the uh the Yusun Vong and they generally a lot of them think that um they are fine that they're just gonna stand their ground but uh Peleon does not necessarily think that and Peleon um agrees to help out um, after commanding an entire fleet while in a back to tank. So essentially like from a hospital room, which is pretty cool. So I love uh, Peleon. Empty! Empty! He's amazing! (laughs) And there's that line, the Empire will always strike back. It's so good. Yes. Yes. He got so many like crowning moments of badass in this book and just... He's hanging out in a Bacta tank, and oh, tell me, I I made a note of this somewhere. Yes, yes, the healer was on Widowmaker with a giant lizard and himself, a half dead old man who is supposed to be running the show. <laughs> I love the way Pallion thinks of himself, and he's grumbling about being old, and at the same time, a moth pulls a gun on him, and he's just standing there like, really, really. Oh, you sweet summer child. (laughs) It's all of his moments of, I'm too old for this, but I am also substantially more capable than all the rest of you put together. (laughs) And it kind of warmed my heart to see the Chimera pop up again, because I do have a lot of Thrawn trilogy nostalgia, since that was my second major EU introduction. And... I will always enjoy seeing the Chimera as the ship that will never, ever, 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 ever go away. Yeah. I love Peleon. Like, he's he's my favorite old school, imp- like, Legends Era Imperial. Yes. He's just, yes, he is. <laughs> he's a good human being. And he mm-hmm. just, I I don't know. He's my favorite. And yes. not just because he, when he loses his temper at people and just like, done. <laughs> I'm in control. Yes. That's nice. Oh, you, we're, this is not a committee. <laughs> Yeah, he's like this is that's not how we do things in the empire. We don't vote here. <laughs> and for nope. once. Like, yes, yes, I know you think you put me in power, but I'm actually in charge. Have a nice day. That so I know this is not um alphabet pod, but um we <laughs> Are you sure? No. Not every, yet no, at least. Everything I'm talking about is alphabet squadron now. But so uh, I know it's not that, but because I think it's interesting how the Empire was portrayed in almost an opposite way in this book than the trend that it's going through in the current canon. So like in the current canon, there are a lot of cases of rebels who are not necessarily good guys or rebels who kind of have bad motivations. And then um, 
usually the Empire is like also evil, right? Like there's some nuance there and things like Lost Stars, but it's sort of like rogues versus Empire more than like good guys versus Empire. I think that's a massive generalization, but I think in general. <laughs> um, and in this book, it's like, well, actually, the Empire can be good sometimes too. It's it's different. It's this totally different sort of hope and like sense of goodwill toward people which i think is uh nice and is something that appears this is underlying sense of like positiveness even though the uh the series is so dark does that make sense at all yeah i think so it's more black and white and some but and sometimes it's not good but sometimes that's kind of refreshing and that's like a key difference between the canon and the and legends i think yeah and i think especially at this point with the empire you just have such a fundamentally different beast from what you would have in canon, given how long the war kept dragging out and dragging out and dragging out. Because it took another, what, 15 years for the remnant to be like, okay, we're done. Yeah. At Jakku like or that. in Legends? In in Legends. No, I, I know Jakku was just one year. Um, but in, in Legends, it was like 15 years or so, I think. Yeah. Long, um, long, slow war of attrition. Oh, wait, hold on. I have this... Oh, man, I was right. Damn, I'm good. It was 15 years, according to the timeline. Um, but yeah, and I just I like how that contributes to making the Empire different here. And there was something else I was going to mention about the Empire. What was it? Oh, no, that wasn't it. Except to say that I really enjoyed how much Pelion got a kick out of, like, Jason almost beating that one moth at his own game. He's like, yes. oh, good boy, good solo boy. You were entertaining. And then watching that one moth, watching his reaction when Pelion pops up on the comm link. Yes, those who announced my death were sorely mistaken. Oh, what is that quote? But <laughs> it's... This, this book just... Pelion deserves a prize for being pretty all-around awesome. He has so many good lines, too. The other one that I wrote down was um, Jason asks, what happened to the war? And Pelion says, it went away. <laughs> <laughs> there was another Pelion line that I loved when he's talking to Yushan commander there, whose name I'm not going to be able to say without accidentally swearing. <laughs> and Pelion just responds with, we're destroying your Yamasks, we've killed your spies, we're taking back those you thought were captives. <laughs> just, nope, keep on yelling all you want. Look, we Empty. won. <laughs> yep, we won. <laughs> yes. Bless Pelion and his mustache. Yes. <laughs> and also, I don't think, I'm not sure if it comes into play later in this trilogy, but I was very happy to see the first appearance of Vito Reach in this book. Even though he's like a two-line character, but... I know the name's familiar from somewhere, and... This book? I No, I know, like... Rocky, I'm gonna steal book, your line. I'm gonna yeah. steal your line. Ask me about that later. Excellent! <laughs> I don't remember I him either. How is it spelled? R-E-I-G-E, maybe? Rage. Okay. Yes, let's well, we'll, yeah. we'll need that information yes, ask later. Us about this later. Yep. Yes. Um, I, yeah, I do kind of want to just like 
make a note of what happened with the Yepitha because I did think that that was very effective. The uh, the scene where they find the last member of the Yepitha who like was mostly defeated by the Yusan Bong, but there was like one left that then destroys himself, right? And uh, I just thought that it was like, it just really show yet again showed the horribleness of the Yusan Bong that they just like wiped out this species and this like super angry species. So I just, that scene really stuck in my head as something that was like both tragic and frightening, I guess. Yeah, actually, yeah, tragic and frightening is a good way to put it. And it probably actually helps that I didn't read the book that they originally came in, because like, then I don't like have any other impressions of them except this one. My only impression of them is bad. So, yeah, I, I think that whole scene, that whole sequence really stuck with me more because I felt bad for Jaina. Mm-hmm. He was just trying to do some stuff and then lost a pilot. Oh, lost poor um, Misa, who yeah. speaks mostly in human slang, <laughs> which he was a great <laughs> character, actually. I was like, this is a great chiss. Why do I not remember him? Oh, because he only lasts for like 100 pages. That's why he's <laughs> dead. Because <laughs> he's very dead. Do whatever you want. I'm super dead. Sorry. Oh. Hamilton. <laughs> I was going to say this earlier, actually. I like the idea, like you mentioned, Jaina teaching Jag to swear. Mm -hmm. I also like Jag being super mild to pilots and like he gets super angry at somebody and he's like, you are, you are subpar or something really (laughs) angrily. And they're like, is that all you've got? (laughs) Oh, Jag. Now I'm having this, this mental image of like them being the mom and dad of twin sons. And, like, Jane is the angry mom. <laughs> yes. And Jag's the dad who just doesn't swear. And it's just like, no! You no, can't do this... that. Here's why. This is another fanfic request at this rate. He's not <laughs> bad. He's just disappointed. Yeah. Yes. Okay, also, can I just make one quick aside? Um, I continue to really enjoy, especially in the wake of Destiny's Way, the Kip moments in these books. Yeah. They're like, he's, I'm going to be the errand boy to go fetch Jaina. And then he just, he gets to be, (laughs) it's him in the council scene, I think with, uh, with that one Jedi who's all like rage, anger, murder. And Kip just sort of lets Luke play off of him. Yeah. I'm not sure. (laughs) He's the voice of reason. (laughs) And I'm just like, I, every use of Kip now just makes me happy. Like, Yes. Once he had his come to Jesus moment in Dark Journey, everything about his interactions with like Jaina, all of his interactions with Luke, I'm like, I could read an entire book just of this. Wait, yes. was that Jedi? Was that the part with Waxar and Kel who was mad because of his scars? Yes. yes. Well, among other things, but. Yeah. <laughs> well, see, I actually like, I didn't like that part because. Uh, Luke has this one moment. I continue to just like not like the characterization of Luke in this series, which is something that like, not that it didn't bother me before, but I think it's bothering me more now for some reason. Um, he thinks that that Cal is like kind of taking out his anger on him because his scarring reminds him of the war. But then Luke doesn't think about his own scars, and like Luke has like 
scars on his face like he has missing a hand like I would think he would think about that but I think the author just like didn't think that far into it which is fine I just was like hmm yeah mm-hmm. I'm just I'm just specifically referring to the kip part <laughs> yeah 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 the kip part was great because like as you said he's like he's like why why is it amateur hour here <laughs> yeah like come on I know how to tick up a Jedi master who do you think you are kip Turan? you gotta blow up a planet first dude I know you haven't even begun. Please don't. <laughs> okay, I sorry. Think he just, I, just, I don't like that name. Doesn't ring a bell, really. So yeah, I don't think he ever comes back. But sorry, I had to do my Kip Duran detour. It's okay. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, well, yeah. So does that count as a neg? Another. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm sorry. My throat is having some problems. Um, does that count as another negative point on the Kips the Jerk scale? <laughs> I think so. Points. Taking away points Kip now. Kips rapidly <laughs> redeeming himself for being a jerk. He's quickly proving to be a useful jerk. The current Kips the Jerk it's... counter is X minus one. <laughs> does this involve math? Unfortunately, not. yes. Oh no. Not my problem to solve. (laughs) (laughs) If a Jedi Master is going at this speed toward this (laughs) battle, how many times can he be annoying by the time they get there? Um, It depends entirely. How many, how much of a variable is annoying? Is this a one variable thing? And give me a speed towards, okay, no, I'll stop now. (laughs) Don't ask me to ask. I can do algebra. (laughs) Don't ask me about math. I couldn't make a good, like, equation if I tried, but... Kip's hey, actually I almost failed <laughs> calculus because I have no arithmetic skills. So, yeah. <laughs> all right, you're, you're valid. We're all valid. So, you want to talk about Naminor? Oh, nope. Naminor. Nope, 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 nope. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving on. <laughs> that wasn't uh, the joke, because he nopes I, I away. Know. Okay. <laughs> so... Naminor has quickly become even more of a favorite than I remember because he is he is obnoxiously self-serving and even though he's sometimes an inept idiot sometimes he's actually really entertaining to watch plot and scheme because as he notices several times in his trying to make friends with the shamed ones he's actually kind of well suited for this sort of thing he's basically a professional liar and seeing him in his element as a professional liar and his reaction to the jedi heresy being okay let me figure out what the source of this is not because i want to eliminate it necessarily but let's figure out the source of this and figure out how I can make it make my life better. And then he decides, you know what? Never mind. These people need a profit, and that's going to help me the most. Is this I the first it. time that we hear you, Shaw? Or does that yes. was that from before? Yes. Yeah, because that's just oh, like yeah. stuck in my brain. It's like, yeah, that's Nominor. So this is the first mention of that. Yes, yes. I thought that happened a little earlier in the series, but. Apparently not. Naminor being in his element as 
a professional backstabber and liar is one of my favorite things. There's a couple like weird parts in there where the one warrior like thinks that Naminor is trying to steal his girlfriend or that she likes him better. And yeah. I was like, why are we having this drama? This is like kind of gross <laughs> because it's Naminor. Yeah, plus, like, when she actually comes on to him, he almost stabs her and then realizes, oh, wait, she was hitting on me. Oops. Yu <laughs> and Vong mating rituals never go well. Something tells me that Naminor has no idea how the actual flirting thing works unless it's in some sort of really creepy and unsexy mating ritual. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we need to know any more about that than we no, already yeah. know. Yeah, and Stop. that is, in fact, Request for no one to write fanfic <laughs> or, or speculate or anything. Well, I this is know. an anti-fanfic request. Please oh, bring your own brain bleach. And <laughs> so, on to other things. <laughs> and as yeah. we were saying, <laughs> I don't think Nominor really cares about that right now because yeah. he's trying to to uh, kind of get back at Shimra. So. I do like his continue. Now it's his journey through the underworld, right? Like he's kind of going through what Jaina did, or excuse me, what Jason did in Traitor, just like opposite. <laughs> Although I guess really the equivalent of that would be if you sent him to a human occupied planet. Yeah, but he's going. He's going through a low point, right? He's literally like trying to get out of the under levels and rise back up to uh, like a position of power. I just love the moment where he was like, okay. Fine. So I guess this is how we do it. Yep. <sighs> Just, oh, Nominor. He is Nominoring his way back into trouble and mischief once again. He seems to be back in his element quite nicely. Yeah. The thing, so one of the things I did really like about his sections were um, when they talked about the story of, oh dear, uh, Vua Rapung or whatever the heck oh, his yeah. name is. And the whole story of, of him, the shamed one, not being a shamed one, and Anakin, and then the one Yuzen Vong who told the story, and then how he sort of, Nominor digs into the whole, okay, but where did you hear it from? And how there's different versions of the story, and how it's become this sort of legend that's spread throughout people, and they don't know where it came from. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think fits really nicely with everything about the Ganner. Yes. And how the Shamed Ones are sort of adopting this pantheon and this thing with Anakin and Walra Pong sort of fits into the new mythology. That makes so much sense, actually. And there are a few times in all of Nominor's adventures where he's hearing about how the Shamed Ones like approach life and how the Jedi heresy and everything is really changing how they view their place in society. And Nominor is realizing he's never even thought about any of this before. He was totally unaware that that like any of that existed, and just how much it's opening his eyes to a part of Yuzhambong society that he's never really had any reason to know or care about. It's fascinating. 
I still really like that look into kind of, you know, what do Sun Vong do when they're alone, right? Like, who are they? Because the shamed ones there are living underground in such a separated place that they are affected by the war in terms of their status, but they're not affected by it as in being in starships in the middle of it. So instead you see this, like, the way they're digging into the ground and the way they're kind of having their own schisms and dramas, right? And I did enjoy that. Yes. So uh, that's everything that I have. Do you guys want to add anything? Um, not really. Like, I like I said before, like the first two thirds of the book, I was like, oh, this isn't as bad as I remember it being, or at least the first two hundred pages or so, I was fairly engaged. And then I just got bored. And I remember that we have two more books of this. And I don't even know what happens in book three. Like, I thought, that, I. I thought that crew was in book three. But apparently it's in book two. So I accidentally think I got the best book for hosting this trilogy when I was just going for the fell stuff. So cool. Can we just have a book of Kip Duran? <laughs> <laughs> yes! Can we have a book of Kip Duran being the voice of reason and everyone wondering why the greatest living expert on the dark side is now the voice of reason? <laughs> it's funny how the needle moves. <laughs> yeah. So, we have one listener question from uh, the ever-reliable Odie. How do you feel about the whole Bantam Greatest Hits tour aspect of this book? Which is, is a great description of it. Um, this question... <laughs> maybe best answered after Force Heretics 2 or 3 as it applies to them too. I think I'm going to actually answer this, go in the other direction and say like the last couple books have all been Bantam Greatest Hits tours in different ways. And um, I like this more than um, Lord What's-His-Name who was flying around on Coruscant. <laughs> like, I didn't think oh, yeah. it was. Yeah, uh, but the wraiths were there, so that makes it better. Mm-hmm. Yes. I don't know. It didn't bother me in this book, but I know that after you get to books, by the end of book three, I'm going to scream quietly into the abyss. Because I don't I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with engaging with parts of the timeline that have come before. And sometimes it's for the best and it should happen. Like, you built this universe. You built all of these characters who have been through these battles together. Make use of it. But, Yeah. It did feel a little bit like checking things off a list to me. Like, I think it was yeah. done well, but it felt a little bit like having to... Like I said last time, that that book kind of felt like um, a bunch of, like, Reddit conversations. <laughs> this one still had that a little bit where you could chart out, like, this group fought this group and failed and etc. Like, they, the, a lot of these Bantam scenes, to me, feel like ways to come in ahead of fans asking about plot holes or asking about, like, well, where's this and where's this? And I think one of the strengths of the new Jedi Order is that it is so long, but that actually doesn't feel um, flabby, right? It doesn't feel like those scenes are unnecessary, but it does sometimes feel like they're checking off boxes, and especially so in this trilogy. Honestly, the more I think about it, I don't even think you needed to have the Yavitha be involved at all. Like, I think almost that entire plot line could have been fine and mostly preserved intact. And it could just been another, some random planet they went to. Yeah, I kind of liked seeing, like, 
in the imagery of all Yuzhanbong destruction and all the chaos they cause and the amount of species they've destroyed, seeing what they did to the Yavatha is a pretty powerful demonstration of their strength, but I almost would have rather seen that, say, earlier in the series when they were still being underestimated a little bit more often. All of the Bantam greatest hits spread throughout the series so far make a lot of sense. I do like that kind of continuity in universe, but I feel like I can probably get a better answer to this question in two more books, by which point I may be totally over how much of Bantam do I still remember and how much of it makes me go, did that really happen? Or was I sober yeah. when I read that? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and, Odie, ask us that one again in two months. <laughs> and if I wasn't sober when I read it, it was probably better at times, or at least made sense sometimes. Listen, I read the Darkness trilogy while completely wasted on tequila. It didn't make it better. <laughs> well, I have no Darkness trilogy to in my brain to compare it to, so... <laughs> I also read crystal star drunk off my ass on multiple ciders which gave me one of the worst hangovers of my life that also did not make that book any better gee that's that's why i don't do tequila anymore but the tequila <laughs> was great don't the no. tequila was fine it was good tequila that's not the question <laughs> you know this kind of makes me curious because curious about crystal star again but i don't think i hate myself that much and i certainly don't <laughs> drink anymore so Huh. Yeah, don't do it. Try, don't, don't do it. <laughs> so let's do our lists, do our numbers. Jedi deaths, 20 plus none in this book, right? Yeah. None. So just 20. No great deaths, three plus also nothing, right? Nothing more than we yeah, can I don't remember. think so, yeah. They mentioned them. They mentioned two Nogri, and I was like, because, you know, oh, yeah. the two. And I was like, oh, this is it. This is the time they named them. So one of them's going to die. <laughs> but it oh, was yeah, Leia's still got the Nogri who rescued her potted plants from Coruscant following her around. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure they are. <laughs> and then um, Kip's a jerk references uh, X minus two. <laughs> which yes. I really wonder what that number is. Because I really want to know when it evens out. <laughs> but it's just going to be X minus two now. <laughs> hey, listeners, if you can actually keep track and count and stuff. Help us out. Odie, don't do it. Don't do it. I know you're going to. Don't do it. Don't do that to yourself. Okay. <laughs> and speaking of Odie, uh, shout out to the fanfic slash art request chart made by our pal Odie. And um, and also shout out to the Tashi Station um, Patreon Slack, which I have been using finally and have been enjoying in general. Wait. So Wait, hold on. Someone yeah, wrote wait. a fanfic, though. Wait, yes. We had, oh, wait. Was the Verger fanfic since this? Yes, this is the Verger oh, yes. fanfic. Okay, please hold while I find the Verger fanfic because someone filled one of our requests and uh, it was very good. It was so, the best. We're gonna do. Oh, uh, you know, this is a nightmare I had once. We're gonna look at my AO3 history live on the air. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> I can't look at mine because I've spent the last three weeks straight reading Dragon Age Inquisition fanfic. <laughs> it's so bad. So shout out to uh, The Teacher and the Heretic by Ben. Uh, ben W is his name on AO3. It's Ben War, War right? Warman? Is it that Ben? Um, 
apology Ben that I don't remember your your full name right now but you're Ben W on AO3 and it's about Kraya meeting Verger and it's very good it's just as kind of thinky thoughts and uh, slightly ominous as you would think that kind of thing would be so I really appreciate that and I think it's awesome yes thank you we very much appreciated it yay thank you you're our favorite this week <laughs> You will be spared. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so where can we reveal uh, all of our various taking over the world's plans just yet? I'm a slither, and I have plenty. Not in detail. Stop it. Spoilers. <laughs> I, mean, I have plenty, but I don't. Rocky, just say where we can find. Rocky, just say where we can find you on social oh, media. Fine, fine, fine. <laughs> you can find the rest of your your evil plans. Fine. Well. In bits and pieces, and in, in no coherent order. Lady Darth Kaidas on Twitter. And it is indeed an in no coherent order sort of Twitter. I have written for 1138 in the past. Gee, maybe someday I'll somehow get enough inspiration to write an article again. I'm positive it'll happen. And I've also been on the Of Dice and Droids podcast. Cool. And Bria? Uh, you can find me over on Tachi Station and uh, let's see where else. Occasionally I write for StarWars.com. You can find my essays in the back of Marvel's Star Wars Age of series right now. And you can also follow me on Twitter, which is at ChaosBria, which honestly, I really hope you like Dragon Age if you're following me right now, because that's all I've talked about for the last two months and I'm not shutting up anytime soon, apparently. <laughs> So I'm at blog full of words on Twitter, and I really hope you like Alphabet Squadron in that, in that regard. So uh, I write for Star Wars Insider, Den of Geek, and StarWars.com. My latest piece is in uh, Star Wars Insider number 190 about Yoda and his teaching on the Force. Um, they asked me to be funny. I really hope I was funny. So... <laughs> This podcast is distributed as part of the Tashi Station Network, and this podcast has been brought to you in part by your support on Patreon. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to the Tashi Station Radio Mega Feed or to the Thrawncast feeds on iTunes for more episodes. Join us next time when we read Force Heretic 2, Refugee by Sean Williams and Shane Dix. You can also read and tweet along with us by using the hashtag Voncast, although it may not be spoiler-free as other people are reading at different rates. So, uh, see you on Twitter, and thanks for listening. Bye!